Welcome to the latest edition of the OmniTalk Retail Ask and Expert Series. I'm your host, Chris Walton. And I'm Ann Mazenga. And we are the founders of OmniTalk, the fast-growing retail media outlet that is all about the companies, the technologies, and the people that are coming together to shape the future of retail, or as we like to say, and the media organization that focuses on tomorrow today. Yes. And today, we have a very special event, wouldn't you say, Ann? Uh, of course. This is one of the ones I've been most excited for, I have to say, for like, ever since we talked about doing it, I've been, I've been super pumped to have this guest on today. Yeah, we first started talking about, I think it was in May, and uh, that is that today we're going to look at some of the biggest retail bets of 2022 and how they're playing out with Placer AI's VP of Marketing, Ethan Chernovsky. Ethan, welcome to OmniTalk. Guys, thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, we've known, I mean, gosh, we've, how long have we known each other now? Four years-ish? I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's closing in on that. It's almost about like a month after I got started here. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's been a long time. We've been on your we've been on your your webinars a few times. This is your first time on ours. You know, are you ready for this? This is some big pressure on our side for you. You know, yeah, it's it's a lot of pressure, and I'm very <laughs> nervous. But I'm I'm gonna do my best. You'll be great. He's got a new haircut, and he's ready to go. <laughs> he's right. ready to go. No, only for this, I could only for this, right? This is the only reason you cut your hair. Yeah, got hair and makeup yes. standing by, yes. just in yes. case we need any touch-ups yes. during. So just don't look at the screen during that time when. Yes. Uh, your general appearance was not involved in this, in this at all. Your general day-to-day -day appearance. It was only for this, this webinar, this live event on LinkedIn. But before we get into the discussion with Ethan, just a quick reminder for those watching the early release of this interview live with us right now, feel free to ask your questions at any time via the chat session window on the right-hand side of your screen. All right, with all that out of the way. Yes, let's get started. Okay, but Ethan, before we get started, we know you well. But give the audience today a little sense of who Placer is and what it is about the data that you're collecting that makes it such a useful tool in our topic of today, like what the retail bets are. Sure. So uh, Placer is a location analytics company. What that means very, very simply is people vote with their feet. And we're showing you how they vote across the United States every single day. And so very critically, it's not what people think they want to do. It's it's actual behavioral data. It's, it's what's happening on the ground. Uh, very critically, though, it is anonymized aggregate data. So we are leveraging a panel of over 30 million devices and then running machine learning and AI algorithms on top to make estimations. Uh, and we have over 15 custom, 1,500 customers across the U.S. using the product every single day. Wow. Yeah, it's some pretty, pretty damn impressive data, which is why when I was first reading about it four years ago, I was like, I, I got to talk to Ethan. I got to find, I got to get to know this guy and try to understand how it works and get to understand how we can use it for our business yeah. and analyzing our business. So, all right, well, let's get right. Let's get right to it. Let's not keep the audience in suspense any longer. We teased, this is probably the biggest tease we've ever done in the history of an OmniTalk event. But what is the first bet we're going to look at together today? What is one of the big bets in retail and how is it playing out, Ethan? So I think maybe the most exciting bet in retail and one of those highly talked about has been, what does Sephora mean to Kohl's? What does Kohl's mean oh, yeah. to Sephora? Yeah. And it's one that, that we I love a lot. Okay, why you do you love a lot. it so okay. much? <laughs> so, okay, so I think there's there's a few things that, that kind of come together here. So the first is, I think this shift of a brand like Sephora, who has been mall, major city oriented, kind of taking this plunge into the suburbs with a partner is super interesting. Mm -hmm. It's happened, by the way, this, the move itself is interesting. The fact that it's happening with a partner even more so because this whole idea of the store and store experience is something that we know is really significant for retail, not just in the case of Kohl's, 
but on the whole. So to watch this, this benefit that a Sephora can bring to a brand like Kohl's is really interesting. But then on top of that, we're looking at Kohl's, maybe not at their, their moment of, of the most <laughs> obvious strength, right? Sure. So this isn't the time where we're like, yes. oh my God, well said. Kohl's is a world beater. Yes. Um, and we're seeing the impact that Sephora can have where those locations with a Sephora in it are outperforming those without. And so it's a pretty dramatic impact in a time when the brand is not overperforming. So, and you just visited this, this I store, did. right? So pr- provide some context here before Ethan goes into the numbers too. Like, what was your impression of it? Well, I, I would have to say like the, the Sephora presence inside the Kohl's is pretty astounding. Pretty you palpable. walk in, you, it's right there. It's a, it's large format. It's, it carries most of the brands that you would see in your traditional Sephora. Um, and it's, I think that the unique part of this, which I'm really interested to get into the data with you, Ethan is, you know, it's, it's a Kohl's employee. It's a Kohl's uh, transaction. It's not a Sephora transaction. Right. So I think that's something that I, I think clearly was deliberate on Kohl's part when they brought in this partnership. But I think that some of the numbers that Ethan might be sharing, I'm, I'm curious to kind of drill down a little bit more into them because while it's, it makes it seem as though Kohl's is seeing more business, I wonder like just how much the segmentation is, what is Sephora versus what is the rest of the Kohl's experience? Because for me, that was that was lacking. That it was, was the lacking same, for you. same Kohl's experience, yeah. not, you know, but a Sephora stuck in the middle. Right, right. Well, walk us through the charts, Ethan. Go, go into detail on the charts. Like, what, like what, are they, what are they showing here? So so what you're seeing is you're seeing a year, on the bottom left, you're seeing a year over year comparison okay. for those Kohl's locations with Sephora's in them and for those Kohl's locations without. And you're seeing... Consistently, though the brand is again experiencing some some challenges, you're seeing those locations with Sephora inside outperforming. The right. thing you're seeing on the top right, though, is the change in weekly visits to Kohl's, also year over year, and what you're seeing is a recovery there as well. And so, there's mm-hmm. multiple things happening at once. And so, on the one hand, I do think you're right. I think this is a Sephora coming in and kind of saving the day within yes. the Kohl's experience. At the same time, I think there's a bunch of really important factors to remember on the coal side. So firstly, if we look at a lot of these, let's call them middle lane brands. We take that kind of bifurcation of retail narrative. The middle is is struggling. I think that's been exacerbated by the pandemics. And we think of, Mm -hmm. you know, Gap as an example. We think Old Navy, a a brand that we were talking about spinning off from Gap because it was so (laughs) strong, getting really hammered over the last two years. I think this has been a tough period for those brands in general. And so to see the support power is significant, but I also think we're forgetting that Kohl's sits in this really interesting place. So when we were mm-hmm. hearing all the acquisition rumors, one of the big things was talking about Kohl's as real estate, exactly. how significant it was to have all these locations mm-hmm. in the suburbs. And I think you're going to see that continue to be an asset over time, both for Sephora as it figures out what these locations mean, what the suburbs mean for their brand moving forward, but also that Kohl's still has a whole lot that it's operating with from a strength, from a position of strength that we're not giving it credit for because we're comparing it to its days of yore. Mm-hmm. Right, right. So, so, so my takeaway net net and love for you guys commentary on this too. My takeaway is net net from the data that you guys have, which is really powerful data. Like we said at the outset, it looks like the locations at that have a Sephora in them so far are vastly, not vastly, but definitely outperforming the location locations that don't uh, mm-hmm. to the tune of like, it looks like 200 to even 500 basis points, you know, in any, any given month. But the question that remains is really, is it going to be enough, right? Is that, is that trip trip driver of Sephora into the cold store going to be enough to basically 
help the Colts brand over the long run. I personally am skeptical of that. I know, and I'm curious what your thoughts are. Yeah, I mean, I think that you have a good point about it's it's going to learn. Even talking about you know, with this increase in traffic that Ethan's showing here, we are going to see more activity in the suburbs and what that Sephora experience needs to be. I mean, it is already in a lot of the major malls too that are in already mm-hmm. in the suburbs. So I think that it's it's you know, how much does that location being quicker to access, which you do get with Kohl's and not you know having to go through an entire mall experience. Um, how much is that going to impact this? And, and then the, I think, especially around the holidays, waiting to see like, what are the other purchases that you're trying to accomplish or get done while you're in that Kohl's mm-hmm. store? And is that enough to kind mm-hmm. of bolster this, um, as a, as a welcome back to Kohl's yeah. let's re-experience Kohl's in this new, in this new right. plus Sephora world. The Kohl's you used to know. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I mean, I, I still think it's a, it seems like a great move for Sephora. Yeah. You for know, sure. from a distribution perspective, but I still, I question the long-term, the, the, the long-term impact of this for Kohl's itself. Cause Kohl's problems are just so structurally endemic to the issues. Like you're saying, they're in the middle, they play in the same products that everyone else does. It's just a really competitive space right now. So Ethan, why don't you have the final word on this and we'll go to the next bet. Yeah. So it's good. Cause then no one, no one can disagree with me, which is great. But I think, <laughs> I think the, the big things to remember about Kohl's is one, how important brand is. And think about the conversation we were having about Macy's just like, again, a year and change ago of like, right. Oh, goodbye Macy's. It's all going, you know, it's all going away. And then how much differently we think about them just a year or so later. Like I do think Kohl's has that same level of, of brand awareness, but also I'm a firm believer that the middle is actually the most exciting place to be in in retail. And it's because of the lack of competition. And we'll talk about this a little bit later mm. with one of our other bets. That's that's the tease. Uh, but value lane is super, super competitive. The luxury lane is super, super competitive. You can rattle off names of really strong performing brands in both mm. those spaces. I think the middle is more complicated. The middle forces you to understand like my perfect example of the middle. And I know there's those who will disagree with this, but is is target, right? Target knows I can sell an iPhone, which is absolutely not the cheapest device. I can sell, you know, I can have Casper mattresses within my stores and sell those, but my customer still wants to save on socks. And so it's a degree of nuance that you need to have to understand where people want to spend, where they're willing, where they're looking to save. But I think operating that lane with that level of reach with some of these ideas, that's why Sephora is so interesting because it's it's upmarket compared to Kohl's. And so it's yeah, I think it that growing understanding of what the middle means. And also we need to remember that I think it was June through February 2019 through the start of, 20, of, of 2020 pre-pandemic, Kohl's was seeing consistent year-over-year visit growth. So they were in a good position. The pandemic hit them really hard. I'm not ready to count them out. I really like some of their strategic decisions and I'm excited to see what they do. Yeah, that's that's really interesting. And like the part that, the part that I think is interesting about what you said too is, the, the differences now versus 10, 15 years ago are that the experience matters around what you're doing too. Yeah. So you can put Sephora in there. You can put Ulta in there in the case of Target, but how you augment that with different omni-channel technologies and capabilities is really key. And that's where I think, honestly, Kohl's continues to struggle for the most part in terms of bringing that into that next generation and to tap into that next generation of consumer that wants it a certain way or wants to shop a certain way. That's where like, but Kohl's did those types of things 10 or 15 years ago right. for, I think really our parents' generation, right? Mm-hmm. And for the most part, but that still seems to be lacking. But anyway, all right, Ethan, let's, keep let's, going. let's go on to the next one. What's next? All right. Next up is, is Amazon fresh. So Amazon's, you know, most recent foray into grocery, you know, after whole foods, after Amazon go is Amazon fresh. And it was, 
I think a really exciting launch. I think we've seen some really interesting things since they've launched. But I think most importantly, there's this potential lane ahead for Amazon that as someone who wasn't the biggest believer in their grocery push a few years ago, when I started looking at the Amazon Fresh data, I became a huge believer in what Amazon can mean in the grocery wow. space. Okay. Why? Explain. So I didn't love what was happening with Whole Foods. I felt like Whole Foods- Right, totally different. What, yeah. yeah. It, it doesn't necessarily connect with what Amazon is. And so right. to try and Amazonify, so to speak, a brand that was you know whole paycheck, that was more expensive, mm-hmm. that was more kind of high end, wasn't going to fit. And when you look at something like Amazon Go, you're like, oh, this makes perfect sense. It's quick. Mm-hmm. It's in and out. It's easy. It's speed. It's convenience in an urban area. That's Amazon. Mm-hmm. And you look at Amazon Fresh. And Amazon Fresh, when they launch, whether you look at California, Virginia, Illinois, they're not competing with Whole Foods. They're not competing with Trader Joe's. They're competing with value-oriented grocers in those areas, which is where convenience and speed and efficiency and cost comes into play. And so now you think about what the potential is, that Amazon Go is this perfectly situated you know, entity for the urban environment, get in, get out, get a few things and move on where this, where their technological advantage becomes such a key part of the speed they're looking to provide. Right. Amazon Fresh becomes this real Amazon feeling entity that is focused on saving money, that is focused on speed and efficiency within the grocery space. And then there's the potential for Whole Foods to go back to being more of what it was, which mm-hmm. is a little bit more high end mm-hmm. and connecting with its type of visitor. I think that, you know, to end this long ramble, like, Whole Foods was really heavily affected by the pandemic, but a lot of it's because of who they were was not situated for the pandemic environment. And our example is, you know, it's like being 6'3", sitting in coach on an airplane. You know, it's great to be 6'3", almost all of the time, except when you're sitting in coach. So if I'm urban oriented and cities are getting hit and I'm more expensive and prices are becoming more, people are putting a premium on it. And I'm kind of part of the grocery visit. I'm not your main grocer for many mm-hmm. people. My visit, my visits per visitor are lower than others. That's going to all come back to hurt me in this specific environment. But if I'm Amazon, and I have these three entities to bring to the market as kind of a comprehensive approach. I think it's pretty darn, you know, exciting. Yeah. Ethan, I agree with you. You know what I else I find interesting too, is that, you know, we, we have conflicting information. Like, you know, I think we saw earlier, like in the markets that, uh, that you guys put out some data in the markets where Amazon fresh has, has opened, they've started to steal share from other regional grocers, like you're talking about. But what's interesting to me mm-hmm. is of the grocers that we've talked to, they, people are like, uh, I, I like to call attention to the people who are reporting on how terrible and cold the experience is mm-hmm. in Amazon fresh. And that they're, they're like going off of that. And I, I wonder what's going to happen. Cause I think a lot of right. grocers are pulling back on like, well, we're the hometown grocer. We're the regional player. Everybody knows us and loves us. And we sponsored the soccer team. Like, okay, that's great. But I think what Ethan is pointing out here, that's very important mm-hmm. is that speed and convenience yep. and quality comes into play here. Mm-hmm. And when you start making that experience, all of those things faster, cheaper, and, and more convenient, like that's going to change a lot of what we're seeing here. And I, I can't wait to keep watching this with Ethan, because I think we're going to see some significant uh, uh, shift in and increase in, in traffic to those stores. I agree. And the two things that you guys each said that really resonate with me is don't poo-poo this because mm-hmm because of their first few years with Whole Foods, because that's a totally different thing, totally different experiment, totally different business plan, business model. And don't poo-poo it because it's new. 
Right. Right. Just because you haven't seen it before and you've never walked into one and you don't like it. It's like year one. Mm -hmm. Like they have time to develop it, change it, augment it. And that can mean a lot. And so you shouldn't be quick to dismiss this. But I'm curious too, Ethan, what are you seeing in the data? Like what's the data showing here? So, I mean, the data is really interesting because it shows, first of all, there was a, there's with every launch almost across the board, you see this first two week surge of visits. Everyone's really excited. Mm -hmm. And then they kind of balance in. And when you look, all of a sudden you see what Amazon Fresh's role is. It's competing with these regional grocers. It's generally not the more high end ones. It's It's a little, it's aiming a little bit lower in terms of market. And it's finding this consistent visit mix where it's part of the grocery routine for these audiences. And that's really significant. And overall, visits are clearly going up because they're expanding. Mm -hmm. But those average visits per venue are doing pretty well. And let's remember, grocery in general is seeing a hit year over year because Mm. of not because grocery is doing badly, but because of the peaks it hit in 2021. And so even these declines are fairly minimal within an environment where most brands are seeing declines. But I want to touch on something that Ann said I think is really important of people being kind of scared. And I th- do think there's this general fear that Amazon creates. And on, mm-hmm. on the one hand, like I get it. And I think it's good because it's pushing a lot of, of grocers to think differently and think more innovatively and about what they can provide to their customers. But on the other hand, it's not coming to kind of take everything away from you. If you are good, you know what you do and you know what you mean to mm-hmm. your market and you're able to provide that value, that local understanding I mean, again, I don't think, I think it's less about sponsoring the, the baseball team, though I'm sure there's value there too. But I do think understanding these local markets is, is so important what you bring. And I know it's like a, a silly example, but it's one that we kind of love. You know, I was in Hollywood, Florida for before Passover one year and the local Publixes had this Passover pop-up and it was a great way to pull in that local community, which happened to be, have a big Jewish population. If you had run that same pop-up, in the middle of Des Moines, Iowa, I don't think it would have been as successful, but that local knowledge, the local understanding, the feel for the market, the knowledge of what's gonna get people excited, what you can do, I do think that is the advantage that sits within that regional grocer. And I think there's huge opportunities to have this environment where multiple players succeed. I just think Amazon's offering overall is going to be one of those successful players. Well, and your point being pay attention and your point being here really is pay attention, particularly to what's, I believe, on the right hand side of the screen, uh, given the zoom effects that are happening to me right now. But the right hand side of the screen, because that line is steadily moving up, that trajectory is steadily up. Pay no attention to what's on the left hand side of the screen could be a little (laughs) misleading because there's a lot of noise in those numbers, you know, year over year. But the point is. They continue to grow. I think they just launched their 43rd location, if I'm mm-hmm. not mistaken, of Amazon Fresh. Last week, they're probably going to open up another one between now and when this airs. But, uh, you know, that's 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 kind of what you're saying here, right? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a powerful entity. And I want to call back to also what you said. You talked about kind of Whole Foods and don't overemphasize it. I think, I think we, in fact, there's a way to emphasize it to the positive. Let's think mm-hmm. Walmart and Jet. Walmart acquired Jet, and it was this huge acquisition within the retail space. When was the last time you were shopping on jet.com? Yet, are we all in agreement that Walmart is much better at e-commerce as a result of that acquisition? So I think this isn't saying that Whole Foods is going to go away, but I think sometimes a misstep actually leads these brands to a much stronger place over time. Right, right. And we can attribute too much to one move versus another Mm -hmm. psychologically, probably more so than we should. There's a bias to do that. And you see that all the time in the media and in how people talk about this on social media. All right, let's go to the next one, Ethan. 
The next one for us is something we've been really excited about for a while, which is retail media networks. And by this, we mean mm. kind of the growing recognition from retailers that their store is not just about selling product. It is obviously the core goal, but it is also about enabling other services. And one of the big ones that we are hearing about more and more is media value. So what is the impact that I can make by having a digital sign that shows your brand when you're in my store. Mm -hmm. And I think we've been talking about this so long in the online context that we forget that there is this huge application offline, especially when you think of the greater levels of intent that exists with a physical store visit as opposed to an online website visit. Well, and Ethan, tell us a little bit about what we're looking at here in these charts. Like, and especially when you talk about people voting with their feet, like I want to dive a little bit more into mm. retail media networks and how Placer is able to kind of gather this data around how it's impacting in-store. Because you're right, we hear a lot about how things are impacting digital grocery, but like what happens when, I, when I'm, I've walked through the threshold? Sure. So let's, let's think, we talk about a lot about, you know, I think online in general, we have when we think about omni-channel, mm -hmm. we think about the physical store visit as a given. And then we talk about all of these amazing things that online has brought. And they are amazing. We think about social media. We think about online visits. We think about uh, engagement. We think about impressions. We're not just talking about sales, right? That's not the only thing that we, we pay attention to. I don't think right. we ever did that for, for physical stores. We kind of said, all right, well, uh, the only thing that matters is sales. Forget all of these other values. And now there's this shift where we're starting to apply that same lens and comprehensive approach that we bring to the way we view online, offline. And why does this matter? So look at, on the graph in your bottom left, you have online visitors in the purple and offline visitors in the yellow. And you can see for Walmart and Target, and these are unique monthly visitors. So this is not overall visits, this is uniques. They dramatically outpace what they do online, offline. And now you add to that, What's the, what's the value of an offline visit versus an online visit? Again, doesn't make the online visit unimportant. It doesn't reduce how significant mm -hmm. it is for the growth here. But when I go in a store, my ability to potentially be upsold, so I'm, I'm there, I'm walking through the aisles, right. I need to get chips and a drink. Mm -hmm. If there's a really exciting cookie ad, yeah, I'm going to be swayed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? There's something about being in the store and getting that, that last bit so close to the point of purchase that's really exciting. And it's, you know, we think about, you know, the value of like search engine optimization was capturing intent. Mm -hmm. When we think about the intent that comes with a store visit, it's a really significant play. And it gives a lot of retailers, especially those with a large footprint, a lot of value and add to this, the ability to kind of segment audiences. So I can look at retailers in a fundamentally different way. So take Dollar General, one of the strongest retailers. If I take Dollar General and I say, all right, I want to look at Dollar General, not by CBSA or DMA. I want to look at Dollar Generals by where there's a lot of cross shopping with Walmart. Is there an ability to then hyper-target those audiences and those locations that are going to mm. reach where I have that crossover? If I want to look at Dollar Generals in towns under a population of 100,000, I'm hitting a very unique specific market. And as a CPG company, it allows me to get really refined in the way I bring my products to market in the offline environment. So you're saying that's essential. So that's the time with the retail media network then, if I'm to connect the dots here is really it's that 
it's the business case of not just getting more money, you know, ultimately for the retailer, but it's actually what it's enabling you to do strategically by targeting different populations of people to this behavior proclivity that they're showing, which is, you know, a great online shopper is also going to be an even better in-store shopper. Yeah. So what you lose with the cookie and the kind of the tracking online, mm-hmm. you're gaining with a different ability to segment offline. So even if I look for certain types of products, I'll give you an example. Mm-hmm. There is, you know, you think about how do we bring products to the right markets? One of the really interesting things is understanding where the right audiences are. So uh, let's let's take an example of, I have a product that focuses on people above the age of 45, 45 to 60. If I can use census data and trade areas to understand where those individuals are over, those audiences are over-indexed, right? I can bring those products to those places and help ensure that my product mix is ideal for that audience. If I can do that, then as a CPG company, I can also say, hey, you have digital signage within your store. This is a market right. I want to talk to. Right. This is where I'm going to I'm going to focus my attention. So it allows them to bring a lot of the approaches that we're working online offline with great effects because what some of the elements we never had offline was that individual understanding of the user. So again, that cookie, understanding who I am, what I where else I visited, that's something that you can do in a hyper-targeted way online. You can't do that offline. But I can start thinking about these retail networks, who they reach, and then leverage that as a way of bringing something similar to the physical retail world. Yeah, either as a gap closer or as to your point, the actual in-store digital media as that continues mm-hmm. to grow as well. And Anne, I got to think, I mean, we've been talking about it, you know, and, and you know, having attended grocery shop, uh, you know, the retail media networks were everywhere. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, you couldn't get enough of them. Like it was the topic du jour at the show. One well, of the topics du jour makes, at the show. It makes sense though, given exactly what Ethan's talking about. I mean, before as a, as a media company or when you're buying media, you're, you're going off of general data. And like the fact that mm-hmm. retail media networks haven't, haven't been something that we, you know, we've pushed forward or that retailers haven't seen the opportunity with sooner is kind of surprising to me when you look at now all of that rich customer data, everybody shops, you know, especially these larger retailers like Target and Walmart and Dollar General, like Ethan's showing here, like the amount of data you have about those individuals is getting to be so finite um, and so valuable. And it never was, you know, you just never had that at your fingertips before it was only online. So I, I think it makes sense that we're seeing this huge surge in, in the investment of time and resources into retail media network. Yeah. And it's cool to think about it that way. And I love your point. Everybody shops too. That's true. Everybody does shop. I've well, never thought I mean, about it's that. like I, not everybody's no, a Nielsen household. No. I hate to break it yeah, to you, but that data is slightly <laughs> right, skewed. Right. So but everybody you, does shop fundamentally. It's just something I've never thought about. I love it. But all right, let's keep going. Let's what's the next one, Ethan. I mean, I'm even going to, I'm going to be rude and I'm going to shove on one last point. Cause I really oh, like what okay. Andrew said by bringing up Nielsen of like, this is, We've classically thought about markets from that Nielsen perspective, which is there's this core group, we make our estimations on top and we're able to be pretty darn accurate and drive our reach in that way. Leveraging stores for that, the power that the stores bring, that same approach can be super valuable. I mean, I I think the data is going to unlock that 
Nielsening for the retail media network. Yeah, especially Ooh. when you think about like the out Damn. of home stuff. Like I yeah. just think about what Ethan's able to provide now, what Placer can provide for a retailer. Like out of home, you're like an estimated, you know, hundred thousand right. people drive by your billboard and may have seen it at this time of day between this time of day. And now Ethan's yeah. like, actually, I can tell you, there's a hundred people that walked in from you know eight forty two to eight forty four, and this is what they saw. So it just it. Again, it shows exactly what Ethan's talking about, just about how specific you can get with this data. Damn, girl. Nice. Okay, Ethan, let's nice. let's go to the next one. All right. The next one is is kind of the digital the digitally native brick and mortar wave. And I really like okay. bringing this one up because I I mean, we, my favorite thing is when we get we start to turn on an idea, especially when it's too quickly. So we were all and I say kind of we as like the wider group focused on retail, on retail, everyone was like so excited about digitally native brands coming offline. And then we saw a couple of rough earnings reports and we were like, actually, is it such a good idea? All these brands have no idea what they're doing. And I, I think it's a really important moment to say, no, no, they, they do. It's really early in the process. Brick and mortar retail is new and it's difficult. And there's something really exciting about these brands in particular. And then you think about like an Allbirds where we're showing that kind of change of visits in that top left where, you know, visits are consistently growing, they're getting bigger, they're grabbing more audience. But also because these brands come from offline, uh, from online, they're very data oriented. And as a result, mm -hmm. they're bringing different types of approaches, different types of expectations to the brick and mortar world. And so it might not be seamless to start but I have a lot of faith in their ability to continue to grow and evolve. Also, there's the excitement component. And so, you know, we're showing you on the bottom right, this is uh, visits compared to the daily baseline from September 1st, 2021 to September 4th, 2022 for the American Dream Mall. September 4th, that is not Labor Day. That is the day before <laughs> Labor Day. Yes, very exciting. But why do visits surge so much? Because on that day, Mr. Beast, the YouTube star, launched his Mr. Beast Burger restaurant. It is incredible to see what the combination of digital reach and a physical location can do when harnessed properly together. What it means for that location. If you were a retailer at the American Dream Mall, how much were you clapping for the launch of a, of a burger place? And I don't think you were necessarily noticing in the past. I think that's the other exciting element here. We are not seeing digitally native brands just opening up their own stores. It's the pop-ups. It's the it's the integrations. It's the it's the experiential components they're launching in the middle of a mall. This is why things are so exciting because there's so many ways for them to reach or to leverage the offline retail environment, and it's going to bring a lot of benefits to the wider ecosystem. Even what are you seeing? I mean, is this a consistent across the board? I mean, Mr. Beast, I feel like is a is a great example of like yes, there's a huge following behind that, but like I mean. What should the expectations be of like Allbirds opening up in, in our, you know, or your Warby city near you? Like yeah. 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 Or Warby. Like, are we, how, how do you, how can we like temper our expectations a little bit? So, so one, I think you're absolutely right. Not everybody is Mr. Beast, but the first place I ever saw this was uh, we were looking at, we were speaking to someone at a conference and they, they asked us to pull up the uh, South Coast uh, Mall, South Coast Plaza Mall in California. And we saw these year over year declines and we were like, oh, I guess it's it's not doing that well. I was fairly new to CRE. I didn't really understand kind of the retail real estate market. And the woman we were talking to, oh, no, no, it's not a decline. It's the year prior Kim Kardashian had her pop up. And so what you're seeing is the fall off from this massive peak 
that Kim Kardashian having a store open for a few months had created. Okay. And so I do think, obviously, these are the, the outliers in terms of massive buzz. Right. But when you look at what kind of Warby means to these locations, I think it means a lot. One, it's a more differentiated audience, right? So there's more people, there's more brands that you can leverage if I'm a mall owner who can bring excitement, something new to a space. Two, for the, it creates more optionality, right? So there's this idea that as I'm trying to create my ideal tenant mix, I now have more options to choose from to create the best thing for my customers. But for the retailers, it's also really exciting because of the breadth of things that they can do. So we spoke with one retailer who was a digitally native brand who was bringing stores into malls. And they said, just the eyeballs alone will, will pay for the project if we never sell an item. Because acquisition online is getting more expensive, because they can figure out the right audiences, because they can provide other services, even just engaging with customers. You know, the CEO of Allbirds said it on a panel with, you know, the commercial observer, 50%, 150% uplift when customers had visit a store before coming online versus just coming online. Mm -hmm. So there is this wider element of value you get without even pushing product from the stores, returns, logistics, mm -hmm. the marketing value. So I think this is a hugely significant element, not just for the retailers, and but for the landlords as well. And that's going to drive a lot of momentum here. Yeah, which goes back to the same point you said with the retail media network too. The same phenomenon is going to happen for these stores when they open their brick and mortar presence. I, I don't know. I'm kind of more tempered on this one. I think I think that's what I'm getting from you too. Is like, okay, yeah, yeah, it makes sense. You're a brand. There's going to be more physical retailers. There's going to be more digital retailers. They're going to try to figure this out. To me, it just comes back to who are you as a retailer? Like, are you a retailer? Or are you a brand? I think there was a lot of digitally native companies that went into physical retail guns are blaring and they're like, oh crap, we're actually probably better served going wholesale and distributing our products to other retailers. Mm -hmm. And that's where you start to see the fallout. But yeah, it'll be interesting to see like Allbirds, Warby. I think the key here is just give it time, right? I mean, we're a couple years into this, let's give it some time. There's going to be other players that enter the space in a similar way. You know, Wafer is another one that comes to mind that they're thinking about trying to do this in a new way. Lots of thoughts on that, which we won't get into. But but I mean, that's kind of, that's kind of my take on this is like, and that's what I'm hearing from you too, Ethan. And, and I'm guessing you're kind of on the same page as me too, is like, let's just give this time. Like, and it, and not every digitally native is the same color. Like it's not, every brand is not the same color and you've got, they're not the same horse of the same color. And we've got to figure that out. I agree. Agree completely. And your wholesale point is also really important of, you know, we, it kind of got caught in this, even by the way, let's think about store and stores like Casper once when we brought up earlier, like there's mm -hmm. some really exciting ways to go into brick and mortar that don't require you to have your own location. Great there example. are ways, there are ways you don't necessarily need 200 stores like a Warby. Maybe you have five locations that you run through a group like leap, which is like super exciting by running these kind of first locations. Mm -hmm. I think there's so many approaches, you know, even pop-ups, there's so many approaches to, to brick and mortar retail. Every brand needs to find their ideal mix, but I think we're in this testing wave of like, all right, what does that mean? What should we try? There's going to be things that don't work. There's going to be things that work really well. But we shouldn't confuse a testing period for like a fully baked industry. Totally. Um, Ethan, let's go on to the next, the next, uh, ooh, trading down. Oh, trading down. talk about this one. So this, this is an interesting one. So we see brands that are doing really well, right? So we have like the Aldi's and Lidl's and a big part of their, and by the way, Dollar General, we kind of include in the same conversation. There are other big lots that fit within two, five below of rapid expansions, but they're also all operating kind of the value lane of their sector. 
right? So there's a few things that are happening simultaneously. So one, you see these visits up because there's just more location. Visits per venue are doing pretty well, but they're along with industry standards as opposed to overall visits, which are way up because you have more spaces. But the interesting thing too has been in a tough economic environment still favors somebody, right? So, you know, again, we all shop. Right. This, I think maybe that's how we, we title this. <laughs> Everybody shop. shops. Everybody shops. Right? And so the question is just where do you shop and what channel do you use to shop there? And so I think when, when, when kind of the dollar is a bit tighter, there are those who are going to say, I wonder if I could save a, a few a bit of money by going to Dollar General instead of the place that I would have normally gone. And now the real question is, who has succeeded in the last few months when we have seen clear evidence of this trading down phenomenon? These brands have outperformed their more uh, regular priced competitors mm -hmm. in kind of a year over year basis. Who has succeeded in pushing themselves into that retail mix? So if before I never went to Aldi, now am I going to Aldi once or twice a month? If so, mm -hmm. huge win for Aldi. If Aldi obviously became the number one grocer, even better. But who kind of grabbed visit share and market share that they didn't have before? I think that's a question we're only going to know down the road, but it's a right. really interesting one to speculate about. Yeah, I agree. Especially when you think about, you know, how, um, what I imagine we'll see more of how the promotion and loyalty programs that a lot of grocers, especially are instituting now to help make up for this, this area of like, you don't have to trade down. You can still, you know, we'll, we'll give you a loyalty program. We'll give you more discounts. We'll get you inside, like how that impacts these numbers too, as we kind of go forward in the next few months, Ethan, to see like, is it just consistent? I go to Aldi all the time. Cause I know it's going to be the best deal all the time or, or Costco or BJ's or something like that too. So, so now that you're saying the trade down is real, yeah. like that's really happening. The question is who's going to win the space and looks from the data that Aldi's doing a pretty damn good job of it from the get-go. Is that, is that the right interpretation, Ethan? Yeah. So it's as with any kind of, it's always important to, to use multiple metrics. So obviously mm -hmm. we're not showing you every data point on Aldi, mm -hmm. but there are lots of things happening. So I'll give you my favorite example from the grocery space is if you look at grocery visits at the category level year over year, visits are down. If you look at the same sector, and this is in July and August, if you look at July and August compared to 2019, they're up and they're up more than they're down compared to 21. Mm -hmm. So, you know, there are, we have to remember context here. And the, the example we love to give is, or the kind of the, you know, the, the metaphor, I guess it is, you know, LeBron James scores 31 points a game one year and the next year he scores 28 points a game. 31 points was fantastic. It was amazing. Mm -hmm. 28 points is still amazing. It's just not as good as 31 points. So we need to remember that some of these sectors that are seeing slight declines, it's not because they're doing anything wrong and they're up against where they were in the past and vice versa. We see some brands and some sectors really surging, but it's not like the, you know everything is, is golden. It's just, you're comparing it to a weaker position. So I think I really am fascinated by how much visit share shifted because yeah. I think, there is clearly a place for Aldi and Lidl in the market. And there's clearly a place for grocery outlet in California and other places and kind of their equivalents in different locations. The question is, is it going to move the needle for others? So we've seen Publix do pretty darn well, even though there are really good value-oriented grocers in their area. The same for Albertsons, the same for Kroger. But, and one of the other elements, by the way, we talk about private labels. I mean, Kroger just announced that their private label yeah. had, had grown significantly. And, mm -hmm. you know, you know, I think with the first time you get your off-brand Cheerios, you're like, oh, can I, can I do this? Like, is this, is this going to be weird? And you're a little <laughs> bit awkward about it. 
But then if it was good, you're like, all right, sometimes I'll get off brand, you know? Yeah. So I, I think that we're going to see that type of experience in the store. We're going to see it when choosing different stores to go to, but the long-term effects will only become clear a year from now, even more. Nice. Nice. You are Mr. Analogy today, by the way, too. Like I've never seen you drop so many analogies, but they're all very good, very helpful. All right, Ethan, let's close up with this. Maybe, maybe give us, we've gone through the, you know, the kind of the five biggest bets that you've, you've seen play out, how some of the early data that you're seeing on those, what are maybe just, maybe let's spend like three minutes in closing that, that, that feels like the right amount of time, especially given, you know, how long this, this session has been running to thus far. What are some other things that are on your mind? What are some other juicy tidbits uh, that you want to share with us? So I'm going to bring together two as a closing, right? And it's my holiday expectation, but it's also my big retail lesson of 2022 thus far. And granted, we have a few months to go. So this might change. Anyway, yeah, right, right, right. I think malls are more fascinating now than they've ever been. And it's because they are changing, right? If we think about what the mall, what we think of, let's, let's go back in time right? It's, it's mid 2019. We're obsessed with the retail apocalypse narrative saying um, the U S is over mauled, gets you a big round of applause and everyone nods <laughs> right, in agreement, right, right. right? What was really happening at that same time is top mall owners across the country were in the midst of making a shift where they were recognizing that they were too focused on apparel. They were too not focused enough on experiences, entertainment, food, and beverage, and all these other elements, and that they needed to make a change. And those changes started to get made. And what we saw and what we're seeing now is actually the mall sector perform a lot better than we would expect. So if we think indoor malls were down, you know, 3% year over year in July, they were down 4% in August, again, compared to a really strong 21. But Clothing and department stores during that same period were down much more. And usually malls are very dependent on clothing and department stores. So what's happening? They're shifting their focus. They're focusing more on health tenants, on fitness tenants. They're focusing on experiences. They're focusing on Tesla setting up a, you know, a, a location within a mall, which obviously didn't make sense 10 years ago, but now it's super cool. All of these things are happening and the mall is changing as a result. But the really cool thing here is not just that top tier malls have the chance to change, but if top tier malls have more options, think about all these digitally native brands, all these folks who are trying to get into mall, they have more options on the apparel they can fill. There's less apparel as part of the mall. There is a waterfall effect here that could bring more value to B-class malls, probably not beyond that, but across in that B-class mall range. <laughs> Good clear. Let's not talk crazy kind of, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> To get some of these apparel players who all of a sudden don't have the number of homes they need in those top tier malls. So I think what's cool about this is we're seeing the positive results of change made years ago. And if we look into the future, there's this potential for this really positive waterfall effect as well. All righty then. I mean, I guess we're yeah. going to have to yeah, wait, wait and see. see on that Chris one. Chris and I yeah. were at the mall together last night and my <sighs> God, do I hope you're right. Yeah, God. Yeah. It was dicey. Ethan. It was dicey. I'm um, looking forward to when we do this. What is it? 20, 2024. We'll schedule yes. 2022 fours now. This will Give be, me two this years. Is the opening topic. I'm in. <laughs> two years to pull out this bet. Pull out this bet. Yes. All right. Well, Ethan, we want to thank you so much. This was so amazing and insightful. If people want to get in touch with you and learn more about Placer, um, how they can add insights like these that you've shared with us today to drive their businesses, what is the best way for them to do that? 
So uh, first, just head over to our website at placer.ai. You can check out uh, kind of our, we have a free version of our premium product. We also have a section called the square that is the home to our free tools. So please check that out. If you're interested in getting in touch with us, shoot us over an email to ideas at placer.ai or if you want to talk to me, I'm at ethan at placer.ai. Excellent. Thank you so much, Ethan. Thanks to everybody for joining us live on LinkedIn. That wraps us up. Thank you, Ethan Chernofsky of Placer AI for sitting down with us today. And as always, on behalf of all of us here at Omnitalk, be careful out there.